Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined by Tyler Burton this evening. It's January 31st, the last day of January. We finally have our schedule, Tyler. Better late than never, but never late is better. Oklahoma is going to be playing football this upcoming fall, Adam. Uh, not sure what the – I don't know why we waited so long uh, for, for the 2023 schedule to be unveiled. Um, you know, you and I in our group chat have had some conversations going back and forth. Was there possibly, you know, an opportunity where OU and Texas could find their way into the SEC in 2023, and that's why the schedule has been posted? But, no, we got our schedule today. Uh, there's a lot to dive into, a lot of good things to take away from it. Some teams in the Big 12 got a pretty good draw. Some teams in the Big 12 kind of got screwed. So I'm excited to get into it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, let's address that right off the bat in regards to the whole SEC thing that's going on here. Mm -hmm. And to this point, OU in Texas retweeted the Big 12's tweet about the schedule being released, but didn't have any materials prepared that, you know, a nice graphic or anything that they tweeted out. Still not posted on Soonersports.com or on Texas's athletic website at 8 p.m. on Tuesday, January 31st. Are you reading in anything into that or is that just meaningless to you? Uh, it's just meaning, meaningless at this point right now. We This is the schedule. This is the layout of it. Oklahoma is going to be playing these 12 opponents this upcoming year. Um, I, I don't know. I'm kind of sick of the game or the, you know, the, the trickery, the gamesmanship going on back and forth between these two universities and this conference. I think it's just kind of at a point right now where the clock's ticking. We're ready to get through these next 12 months. And then people still say that 2025 is the realistic date for OU Texas to go to the SEC. Sounds like more and more 2024 is going to be the exit time for these two programs to make the transition. So, um, yeah, I, I don't put I don't put too much stock into it. This is the this is the draw that OU's got, and uh, it's a pretty favorable one. Yeah, definitely. I know a lot of people were making jokes about how the Big Twelve was going to try to screw OU, and everyone's talking about the refs from last year. I'm not giving any credence to any of those narratives, but looking at the schedule, you have to say this looks like a really easy draw for Oklahoma. No Kansas State, no Baylor, a team that's very physical, it plays OU very tough. No Texas Tech, a team that I think is definitely on the rise going in second year mm -hmm. under coach. Houston, I guess you could take it or leave it. That's the <laughs> one team that probably doesn't matter that they're not on the schedule, but balance across the board as far as home games, road games. Nothing too crazy necessarily. Um, maybe you could say the turnaround at the end of the year between playing at BYU and then the following Black Friday playing at home against TCU. But I don't think that's too terribly bad. So pretty favorable draw. Yeah, pretty favorable draw. Very doable draw for Brent Venable's team going into his second year. You get outside of the first two weeks of the season, uh, both back-to-back -back home matchups against Arkansas State and against SMU. Once you get past September 9th, Adam, there's not there's not a single back-to-back -back, uh, home game for the rest of the regular season. No matchups against Baylor, Kansas State, Texas Tech, or Houston. That's three losses from a year ago that you don't get a chance to, to right those wrongs. You don't get a chance to avenge that loss from the previous season. But hey, I'm not mad about it. Oklahoma doesn't have to face Dave Aranda. Oklahoma doesn't have to face Chris Kleiman in the regular season. So not mad about it whatsoever. You play three of the four newcomers in, in this league, and the two big ones are on the road. Big 12, I think, in this situation, clearly letting the newcomers take advantage of the cash cow that is the University of Oklahoma football program um, before we actually leave this conference. Um, then just kind of going through it a little bit more, UCF coming to Norman. That's There's going to be some really good storylines uh, surrounding that game, obviously with the connection with Jeff Levy, Dylan Gabriel. We thought that there was going to be a chance that that game would be played in Orlando. Um, obviously, you know, those two guys making the return uh, to the bounce house. But uh, 
not mad about it whatsoever. Road trip destinations, looking at the schedule, Adam, at Cincinnati to open conference play. Really, really nice, juicy matchup to get conference play going. Provo in late November against BYU. Uh, Sooner fans traveling out there, bring your coat, maybe bring a second jacket. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun taking on the Cougars and what's going to be a, what was it, Adam, a revenge game for the 2009 Sam Bradford <laughs> injury uh, upset. And, you know, just looking at it, you know, bye week after Red River, fantastic. Uh, you couldn't ask for a better better way to set yourself up going into the back half of the season. And then, Adam, unfortunately for our friends down in Stillwater, perhaps the final game in the Bedlam series is going to be played uh, in Stillwater this year. Not sure who's going to be on the team for Oklahoma State this year. Not sure who's going to be taking snaps at quarterback. But, yeah, a lot, lot of really good things to take away from it. We We spent basically the better part of the last year talking about once Oklahoma and Texas do kind of enter into the finals, you know, season uh, in the Big 12 Conference, once you get these four new guys uh, joining the conference as well, would there be a situation where the Big 12 would look to, hey, let's kind of stick it to these guys, you know, let's let's send them out to the uh, to the West Coast to take on BYU, and then let's send them the following week out to West Virginia to take on the Mountaineers. So outside of this matchup, Adam, we'll, I'll touch on it here in a second. I really only see one, you know, possible week where. I think that Oklahoma kind of got a tough draw, but you got you got to take it. You got to feel good about it. Looking at this thing from top to bottom, this is a very favorable schedule for Oklahoma in 2023. Yeah, you mentioned there's back to back home games to start out the year, uh, but then as far as road games, there are two back to back road game sets mm-hmm. at Tulsa, at Cincinnati, and then at Kansas and at Oklahoma State in uh, a little bit later in the year. Both of those scenarios, one of those road games is in the state of Oklahoma, so it's not mm-hmm. a true road trip. It's not a really long road trip, so it doesn't bother me all that much. Uh, you mentioned BYU and Cincinnati, the two new members to the conference. Uh, the OU's going to travel on the road. Cincinnati, uh, first Big 12 game of the year for the Sooners. BYU, second to last for the Sooners. Mm-hmm. Right now, I think probably conventional wisdom is that BYU is probably the tougher matchup in that scenario, just based on what Cincinnati lost from you know Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin. Sure. sure. I went back and looked at the uh, recent recruiting rankings, though. BYU kind of hovers in those 60, 65 range. And I know there's probably some guys that have gone off to missions and have come back, and who knows what their rate ratings are at that point. So it might be a little hard to rank some of those BYU classes. Cincinnati's done a little bit better, maybe like mid-40s, upper-30s. It's a little bit better there. Do you agree BYU is the tougher matchup here, though? Between the Cincinnati and yeah, as far as those two new opponents that were facing. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, Cincinnati replacing, you know, what they lost off of their coaching staff along with their roster from a year ago. That's kind of a big ask for, for this team, you know, to, to take on an Oklahoma squad in week four of the regular season. I, yes, I know there's going to be a lot of hype. That fan base is going to be juiced, ready to go. Your big 12 home opener. Here comes, you know, the blue blood Oklahoma coming into town. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, BYU second to last week of the regular season. That's you know, the November 18th, it's probably going to be freezing cold. It's, there's going to be some tough elements. You're coming off of a off of a trip out to West Virginia. It's coming back. It's going to be a quick, uh, quick uh, preparation week for the Sooners in this one. But I, I don't know. I kind of feel like BYU is a little bit of a tougher draw because while BYU is going to be replacing some key pieces – I always I always tend to say that your matchups towards the end of the regular season, especially with a young team, 
I think that those usually are always the ones that are a little bit more challenging because you're going to give this BYU squad 11 weeks to find their identity, to figure themselves out. And, you know, what we all know with, with our uh, with our teams and our programs, you want to be playing your best ball. You want to peak at the end of the regular season, playing your best ball going into, you know, that late stretch of November. So we'll see what this Oklahoma team can do. But looking at it on paper, you know, outside of Texas, OU is, you know, by far and away the most talented team again. We, we say year in and year out. So uh, if we, ex, you know, we expect Brent Venables and this coaching staff to develop these guys, Schmitty in the weight room, going into year two of this administration, I would expect Oklahoma to uh, to bounce back in a big way. This is a very favorable schedule. Yeah, definitely. Let's come back and look at the home schedule here in a, in a moment, mm-hmm. but let's take a bigger step back and look at the Big 12 as a whole. Anything in particular from anyone's schedule stand out to you? Yeah, just just a few, man. Uh, I mean, OU Texas, kind of looking at it, and again, this kind of goes against the stereotype what we were talking about for the last year. OU Texas might have the two easiest schedules in the conference this year. Ooh, um, I'm, I think I might disagree with you. Okay, I'm just talking about Big 12. Take out Alabama. uh, Yeah, I think I I I still disagree with you. Okay. Because I I, I agree. I think OU's got one of the easier schedules probably of anybody on here. Texas's final games, though, BYU at home, K-State at home, at TCU, at Iowa State, at Texas Tech. I think other than TCU, I think probably most of those teams are better this year than they were last year. TCU's Mm -hmm. still got some dudes, but I, I I think that's a tough way to finish the year. Yeah, it definitely is. BYU uh, looks like they are only they're the only one of the four newcomers that drew both OU and Texas this year. Obviously, uh, Sooners going out to Provo, BYU BYU coming down to Austin. So BYU is getting to capitalize uh, and really rake home the, uh, the the dollars in this one. But like I said, OU missing Tech, K State, Baylor getting an idle week after Red River. Um, feel really good about Oklahoma's chances here. Iowa State, Adam. I'm actually going to take it one step further. I think Iowa State has by far the toughest schedule of this conference. You got Iowa in the non-con. You travel to Norman to take on an Oklahoma football team in the final week of September. Four of your last six are on the road, and you close out the regular season at BYU, Texas at home, and then you travel on the road to take on Kansas State and Manhattan. So uh, it's not going to get any easier for Matt Campbell in 2023. And, Adam, I really didn't even notice this. Uh, I I saw this on Twitter. Uh, It was one of the responses to to the Big 12 uh, tweet when they sent out, when they finally released this schedule. Go look at Baylor. Twelve games, eight of them are going to be played at home in Waco. Baylor's going to be playing 75% of their schedule on their home field. How the hell does that happen? It's great for the season ticket holders to get their money. Absolutely. Worth, Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know what? Who's not good for the season ticket holders is this OU home schedule. Uh, this that's this the, bugs me. That's, that's the, that's the opinion that's out there. I'm not in agreement with you from our I mean, time. You if know, we swap in- out a home game with Iowa state for a home game with Cincinnati or a home game with mm-hmm. Texas tech. Does that improve? Like, no, we know what cards are in the deck. <laughs> we know what cards are going to yeah. get turned up. We knew we weren't going to play K-State at home. We played them last mm-hmm. year. We knew we weren't going to play Oklahoma State at home. Played them last yep. year. There's no one that you could possibly swap in or out. Maybe BYU. Maybe BYU at home, I guess. But really, most people are not going to be too excited about that one. Well, and plus, we knew, what the, it is. The, we knew that the home schedule this year was going to be a drag once the OU-Georgia game got removed from the schedule just a few Absolutely. months ago. So, But yeah, Arkansas State... I. I that's going to be a tougher game than most people realize. Arkansas State can really light up the scoreboard. You've got SMU in week two. You go to Tulsa. That one's you go to Cincinnati. Kind of 
it, it does, but I think that one of the things that is going to that should give Oklahoma fans a little bit of confidence, especially once you start to you try to project and picture what you know Team One Twenty Nine. Uh, there you go, Adam. Quick Team One Twenty Nine reference <laughs> for you. When you try to project what this team could be, I really like the fact that you're going to have you're going to have the first four weeks is going to be very very similar from an offensive you know attack standpoint that Oklahoma's defense is going to be facing from those four opponents then Iowa State is a little bit a uh, little bit of a shift with the way that Matt Campbell and that offense likes to, to navigate things but I think that those first five weeks Oklahoma has a really good chance to set themselves up for that trip down to the Cotton Bowl in Dallas to take on Texas this year we're going to see the 49 to, to nothing. Uh, you know, placated on social media. There's probably going to be signs along I-35 down to Dallas coming south out of Oklahoma. I think that it shapes up to be a really, really good schedule. If Oklahoma can figure out a way to go 5-0, and go into that Texas game, win or lose, you get a bye week the following Saturday to kind of rest and heal up, prepare yourselves for the second half of this season. It's a very favorable closing stretch for Oklahoma outside of that Week 13 matchup against TCU. Definitely. Taking a, another look at just the overall Big 12 schedule, and I know this information was already out there. I'm talking specifically non-conference matchups, but I think it's kind of cool on the graphic that the Big 12 sent out because you can see all the different matchups that are happening, and there's lots of really interesting ones. OU doesn't really have one. Uh, SMU or Tulsa are probably tied for the most interesting ones there, mm-hmm. and I think Houston doesn't really have too many interesting ones there either. UTSA is, is kind of a matchup they had last year, but looking across the board, uh, BYU's playing at Arkansas, UCF uh, playing at Boise State, Cincinnati's at Pitt, uh, Iowa State's got their their matchup against Iowa, uh, Kansas is playing a really good Illinois team that had a great year last year, Kansas State mm-hmm. on the road at Mizzou, uh, Oklahoma State's playing Arizona State, I don't know if that's all that interesting, uh, TCU, they've got Colorado at home, Texas is going on the road to Bama, Texas Tech is going uh, to play Oregon. I guess that's actually, uh, that's actually a home game in Lubbock. That's pretty, uh, Ooh, unusual that's to see the Ducks playing in Lubbock. Yeah. yeah. And a, a rematch against Tyler Shuck's formal te- former team, uh, there in Oregon, West Virginia, trying to get Neil Brown fired before the end of September. They've got at Penn <laughs> state and Pitt at home on their non-conference schedule. Uh, so juicy matchups across the board on the non-conference. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when you kind of look at West Virginia's, you know, conference schedule, the the four teams that they're not going to be playing this year, Kansas State, Texas, Kansas and Iowa State. So, you know, really, if you, you know, if you're a West Virginia fan, chances are you're probably not feeling too good about the outlook of this 2023 season. Obviously, there's going to be some new faces, some new coaches on that staff, new uh, brand new quarterback. Um, I, I would assume it's going to be the same guy uh, that, that beat Oklahoma. Just a couple of weeks ago, in the in the rain and, and sleet, but yeah, West Virginia it's going to be a tough stretch for them. But you know, Adam, I I really kind of can't wait to see what this is going to look like. You know, Houston, I'm not not mad about the fact that OU didn't OU doesn't have them on the schedule. That's kind of a waste of a home game from a viewership standpoint, in my opinion. Doesn't really get me fired up going down to H Town to watch them take on the Cougars. Uh, BYU going to Provo. Home run. Already got my rooms booked uh, to go to Provo. Not sure I'll go. We'll see what the weather forecast is. But Provo, mountain time, late in the fall, sign me up for that 100%. But, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a really good stretch, Adam. I think that we're going to have a lot of fun this offseason, kind of diving into these teams a little bit deeper, uh, kind of previewing how they match up with Oklahoma once this thing kicks off in eight more months. You and I had a little friendly debate on the group text there when the schedule came out about who the toughest opponent was 
going to be at home for the Sooners this upcoming fall. So I took it to Twitter. Uh, make sure to follow us there at the Mainline Pod because uh, we ask lots of these interactive questions and we want to get everyone's feedback on this. I said, you know, who was the toughest uh, home opponent that's coming to Norman? Got a lot of answers for TCU. I think easily the number one answer, probably top 70%, I'd, I'd say, if it was a poll. Per I'd usual, they agree with me. <laughs> I'd say second, Iowa State. Um, a lot of people did say Iowa State. A lot of people said TCU or Iowa State. Uh, mm-hmm. We got a couple SMUs in there. Some people even mentioned UCF. Um, but no one mentioned West Virginia. We'll see if Neil Brown is even the coach uh, for the Mountaineers <laughs> by the time they get to Norman in November. <clears throat> Make your case here. I'm, and maybe it's an easy case for TCU being the toughest opponent. It is TCU. It's by far and away TCU, in my opinion. Um, when you go down and look at the schedule, I know everybody's full expecting uh, the Horn Frogs to take a step back because of how much they're losing off of that roster from this past season. Max Duggan's gone. Quentin Johnson's gone. Kendra Miller, Amari DiMercato, a whole lot of experience on the defensive side of the football. I believe three offensive linemen off of that TCU team is going to be gone, either graduating or playing on, playing on Sundays. But last time I checked, Chandler Morris is still in Fort Worth. Last time I checked, the Sonny Dykes offense that just gave Oklahoma and Burton Venables fits uh, just a few months ago, that still is going to be the same scheme in Fort Worth uh, going into next season. And, you know, Adam, this is probably my biggest thing, and this was something that you and, uh, you know, uh, Corbin uh, kind of chimed in on this as well. TCU kind of capitalized uh, and on their magical 2022 season by signing an impressive haul for, from the transfer portal, uh, getting some you know key plug and play guys from some of the bigger schools like in Alabama. They've got a they've got an offensive tackle coming in that's going to be able to play right away. They've got a skill player out at the wide receiver position that's going to be able to play right away and be a difference maker for them. So you combine all of this with the fact that Oklahoma is playing them on Black Friday, a short week off of a trip across the country to BYU, to me, in my opinion, that's the scariest game on the schedule outside of the trip to uh, Dallas to take on Texas. I'm in a little bit of disagreement here. I'm, I'm actually going with Iowa State as Oklahoma's toughest uh, home opponent. I think Christian Leary was the player that you're, you're referring to there, the wide receiver that is plug-and-play that the Horned Frogs picked up a guy that has three catches for 10 yards on his career of two years at Alabama. Top, so top one. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Highly recruited four star, sure. five star type of guys. There's, there's lots sure. of those guys that transferred to TCU and mm-hmm. maybe that's a better culture fit. And they, you know, they find great success there, but it's, it's just theory at this point because we have a lot of guys that haven't done anything on the field. And the reason they're in the transfer portal because they haven't done anything. So yeah, um, I'm a little skeptical on TCU. I think it's going to be tougher to, to rebuild there. I like Chandler Morris, but we haven't really seen him do much in his college career yet. So mm-hmm. I'd like to see a longer track record there. I also just think at the end of the year, like where is this team mentally? They just had a great year. Like, are they going to be as mentally tough and as disciplined as they were this past year with all the senior players? Uh, they're going to have to replace a lot of experience. So I just wonder where they are at the end of the year when they come to Norman. Whereas the Iowa State team, they were bad last year. They were not a good team, and yet they played almost everybody within one possession. I think that's a very dangerous team, a team that knows, kind of like the K-State teams, they know how to just not make too many mistakes, stay in the game, and they didn't have enough to really come through at the end of the day. But I think Matt Campbell gets this team back uh, to be a little bit better next year, and I think that's a dangerous team that could be coming to Norman, especially really early in the year before this team hits its stride, right before the week ahead where you're going down to Dallas to play Texas. Yeah, I mean, I definitely expect this Iowa State Cyclone defense to take another step and be a little bit better. John or you know, John Hancock is still there, but you know, Xavier Hutchinson gone 
graduated playing in the NFL. And last time I checked, the Iowa State's lefty quarterback from a year ago, probably the worst quarterback that Oklahoma faced all season long. So how much better can he get going from year one to year two as the starter up there in Ames? It's going to be played, you know, in Norman. I know that that's, you know, that that home field advantage probably isn't as big of a deal as it once was, uh, you know, especially during the Stoops era. It's it's especially not that big of a deal against Iowa State, you know, a, a place that Matt Campbell's had, you know, a tremendous amount of success winning in Norman at. But Again, I I think that getting Iowa State at the very, very beginning of the year, I kind of think that that favors Oklahoma. Oklahoma's going to have more experience coming back uh, at a lot of the key positions, particularly quarterback. You get them at home, whereas TCU, yes, I know that TCU is – kind of got a really, really tough closing stretch at Lubbock against Tech. Then you've got Texas in Fort Worth. Then you've got Baylor in Fort Worth. Then you've got to go on the road in a short week to take on uh, to take on Oklahoma. But I. I still, I think that this is going to be an instance where, uh, you know, motivation, Oklahoma, you know, TCU embarrassed them a year ago. And, you know, going into that final week of the season, Oklahoma's probably going to have a chance to submit themselves as one of the top two seeds playing in Arlington for the Big 12 championship. TCU is going to have Oklahoma's full attention once they roll into Norman uh, on the final weekend of the regular season. Are we overlooking SMU or UCF in this particular discussion SMU a team that has used that method that Sonny Dykes is using at TCU to bring former Dallas players back to the program Uh, they're they're replacing a lot of guys so maybe that's a little bit tougher of a stretch so maybe we focus more on UCF here a team that does recruit usually top 30 top 40 Mm -hmm. classes Mm -hmm. they've got plenty of guys that have transferred in from power five programs case in point John Rice Plumley, former Ole Miss quarterback now at UCF you've got Gus Malzahn guy that has played in national championship games as a coach certainly well experienced are we overlooking the golden knights and maybe even a potential you know motivation factor with playing up against dylan gabriel i'm not necessarily not necessarily sure um that oklahoma is going to overlook him because of like you said you've got dylan gabriel you've got jeff levy that are part of this program here in norman uh oklahoma is going to be very focused once the golden knights come into town uh, it, uh you know in week four or five of the regular season or excuse me, uh, October 21st, I apologize. Um, but yeah, I, I think that UCF does have the tools to, to be able to give Oklahoma problems. Um, you know, being a program in the state of Florida, they've still got really, really good athletes. You know, they're not necessarily going to be guys like you see at a Florida State or like you see at a Florida or a Clemson or things like that. But last time I checked, state of Florida, one of the best outputs of high school talent in the country uh, you know, at all different classifications of Florida high school football. So uh, there's going to be some athletes flying all over the field, but I think that Oklahoma, I expect them to take care of UCF. Um, we'll say, we'll say seven to 10 points at least. So what was the, what was the first part of your question? Uh, I, I guess I was throwing SMU in there as well, but I think UCF I would, is definitely one. Yeah. I would be more worried about SMU if Tanner Mordecai was not at Wisconsin right now. So definitely. Um, <laughs> I agree. That's kind of where I stand on that. I agree. But I think it's so now, I think it's a good early season test for Oklahoma. Yes, yes. I think it'll stretch OU. We'll and we'll, sure. we'll dive in a little bit closer when we get to that game. So now we've seen the entire schedule. We know who's going to be on the roster for the most part. There's probably going to be maybe a guy here or there that transfers after the spring, or maybe like one piece that transfers in after that. So we pretty mm-hmm. much know everything about what's you know in front of this team going forward in 2023. I think the general consensus and. I, Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm putting you in this camp here. The general consensus here was that this team is probably nine and three going into 2023. Now that we know the schedule, what are your expectations record wise for the Sooners? 
I see nine and three or ten and two. Um, I think that this is going to be an instance where we it's same shit, different year. It it all kind of hinges on the second week of October uh, once OU goes down to take on Texas in the Cotton Bowl. I think that looking at this schedule, Adam, Arkansas State, SMU, at Tulsa, at Cincinnati, Iowa State. Oklahoma is going to be pretty heavily favored, I feel like, in all five of those games. So if you can figure out a way to go 5-0 and in that one, in that stretch, Texas will – We'll just say we'll say Oklahoma loses. Just worst case scenario, Oklahoma's five and one coming out of that game. You've got your bye week, lick your wounds, heal up a little bit. UCF at Kansas at Oklahoma State. Um, Adam, is it too is it too far out on a limb to say that at Kansas is probably the uh, most daunting of those three game of those three opponents with uh, Kansas's quarterback uh, returning for another year? Um, figure out a way to go three zero in that stretch, and then you close things out. West Virginia at home, I'll count that as a win, and then. I'm going to say OU splits the final two weeks of the season at BYU or TCU. I just don't see this team. They're not going to be a six and seven type football team this year, but I still think that it's probably too much, too much to ask in year two of Brent Venables to say that this team is going to go 11 and one or 12 and zero the perfect season. So I'm going to, I'm going to pinpoint this team at 10 and two, but anything less than nine and three is a complete failure. Okay, so you're going losses to Texas and then a loss between either BYU or TCU. I'll say this. I'll say we lose to Texas and then between the two newcomers uh, that we're going to face on the road at Cincinnati, at BYU, I'll say we lose one of those two. Yeah, I think those are going to be two really tough road environments. You know, it's going to be packed at Cincinnati. It's going to be packed at BYU. They're going to want... To, to get that win on their resume before OU mm-hmm. leaves the conference. Same thing for everybody. O- Oklahoma State, Kansas, they're all going to want to beat OU um, really badly. I think for me, I think Texas is probably a loss for me right now. And then I'd say just one wild card, you know, stinker of a game. I don't know who that might come against. Um, so I know it's a little bit of a cop out there, but I also kind of feel 10 and 2 here. And I, I know I come on and I say this probably every other week, but. My expectation and my standard every year is win a national championship, go undefeated. And that's what should happen. It's not what will happen. Um, And I have such a disconnect there that drives me crazy because I don't want that standard lowered and say 10 and two or even 11 and one, because even that to me is so unacceptable. Um, Right. I I was saying this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think nine and three is absolutely unacceptable. We would never stand for that. OU Um, in the past two decades that that you know OU's been the dominant force that they have been since the 90s mm-hmm. anything less than double digit wins was absolutely unacceptable I'll take a step further 10 and 2 and I think they need to be playing for the Big 12 championship in Arlington I think that is where this team should be um, I think that's where they can be I guess it kind of depends on how you look at things you know was last year mm-hmm. was it just so bad or was it the fact that they played in so many close games and they were one or two plays away and that's a small change to, you know, to get yeah. there in year two of Venable's defense, in year two mm-hmm. of Levy's offense, in year two of Venable's knowing the transfer portal better and how to get the actual guys that are going to be difference makers, of him getting sure. his recruits in there, of which I said in the middle of the year is definitely not an excuse. There's talent across the board on the Sooners roster. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is Brent Venable's guys at this point. So you, I think 10-2 and two is, is absolutely bare minimum. Anything less than that is a failure. So I agree with you there. Yeah, and if you're Brent Venables going into this upcoming season, you can't be afraid 
to play true freshmen or play true sophomores in this one. You know, Adam, I kind of thought back, I was watching the uh, AFC wildcard game. On the final drive uh, when Kansas City was on defense, Kansas City had five rookies out on the field with the season on the line. So Oklahoma's got the talent that we've clearly upgraded across the board at all these positions with this young nucleus of talent that Brent Venables has brought in each of the last two seasons. And I hope that this is an opportunity with Arkansas State, with SMU, with Tulsa, Get your young guys out there, get them a vote of confidence, get them familiar with this scheme, playing in front of these large capacity crowds, because once you start going on the road, BYU is going to be hostile. I know it's not a huge stadium, much like Cincinnati. It's going to be it's going to be crazy. That's the we've talked about it for every year since I don't know what since Oklahoma has been a football program since what the 50s, 60s, 70s. When Oklahoma comes into town, that is the biggest game on the opponent's schedule for that for the regular season. So Oklahoma's going to have to figure out a way, get familiar this season, especially on the offensive line early in September, and figure out a way uh, to, to you know start out the season 4-1, and 5-0, and oh, and uh, going to Texas expecting a dogfight. Yeah, definitely got to keep those younger guys on the field, play through mistakes, mm-hmm. allow them to make mistakes, because that's the only way they get better. If you pull them after yes. that, they don't get a chance to go, go get better. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, For yeah, sure. I agree with you there. I think that's the way this team grows so much is just by getting some of those younger, more talented guys in there and, and, and finding them a role. Well, another team, Adam, that we're hoping they got better. We <laughs> think they got better. We think they took the next step. That is the OU men's basketball team, Adam. Miracle at the LNC just a few days ago on Saturday. Oklahoma routes number two, Alabama, 93 to 69. Yes, I read that right. 93 to 69. Adam, what the hell happened? I know. A week after we basically dragged this program through the mud, everyone was down on them. No one wants to ever show up to the LNC. And there's really no reason to show up to the LNC on Saturday. But OU fans did show out. Uh, it was a great crowd. They were loud. And then the team gave them a ton to cheer about, too. And it was one that the team just jumped on Bama early and never looked back. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this team kind of do a little bit of that against other Big 12 teams throughout the season and then let them, you know, the opposing team get back in it. And then OU either barely survives or totally gives up the lead late in the game. That didn't happen in the Saturday. So I don't know. I, I don't know how much stock to put in that. I was texting people during the game and saying, I don't think OU is going to make the tournament still. I think they've got a really long road ahead of them. Now they can make up a lot of ground here this week. They're playing OSU and Bedlam at home tomorrow night, and then they're on the road at West Virginia on Saturday. Two games that can boost your resume, but are also two of the more more winnable games in the conference. But mm-hmm. beyond that, it gets real tough um, down the stretch for the Sooners. Tons of ranked opponents. And I'm like, man, I just don't see this happening again against Bama because I, I know who this team is. I've seen a lot of them, uh, you know, their games this year. Mm-hmm. I, I know who this program is. I, I don't trust them. Um but I don't want to take away from the, the great victory, the miracle at the LNC as you've coined it. Yeah, Adam, if you would have told me prior to the start of the game, prior to tip off, that this, the final score was going to end up being 93 to 69, I would have bet every last dollar in my bank account that Alabama was going to be the team that uh, that won by 24 points on Saturday. But, you know, tre- tremendous uh, performance uh, by this team, tremendous coaching job by Porter Mosier. You know, I, I kind of made a joke. I had to work on Saturday. I did not have a chance to watch this live. My mom and dad, who were actually in attendance, my mom sent me a video 
uh, on my phone. I checked it while I was at work and, you know, kind of the still shot before you click on the play button, it was uh, it was a video or it was just kind of a still shot of the crowds. I was thinking, oh, hell, Oklahoma just got blown out. She's sending me a video uh, of the crowd, you know, kind of evacuating the LNC. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not at all. Uh, students stormed the court. Just a, just a fantastic uh, moment, and you know we've we've kind of been hard. We've you know maybe we've been a little bit unfair in our criticism towards Porter, Porter Mosier, taking some unfair licks towards him. But biggest win by far of the Porter, Porter Mosier era during his time in Norman. Grant Sherfield had it going. He was cooking uh, from you know in in the in the paint, you know behind the arc, thirty points. But I got to give a shout out, Adam, to Jalen Hill, a guy that does not, in my opinion, get enough credit for what he does. Porter Mosier said in the post game. He should be a finalist for National Defensive Player of the Year. And when you look at this guy, Adam, career-high 26 points, 9 of 11 shooting, 8 rebounds. Porter Moser gave this kid the responsibility of guarding Alabama star freshman Brandon Miller, who Cameron averaging just a hair under 20 points a game. Many NBA scouts, Josh Giddy, uh, NBA fans were in attendance to check out this kid play. Jalen Hill held this kid to just 11 points on 4 of 14 shooting, so tremendous performance by Oklahoma defensively. And you just have to hope, Adam, that this team right now sitting at 12-9, and 2-6 and six in Big 12 conference play, you hope that this is kind of a wake-up call you know, I kind of feel like it gets it gets a little bit – it's like eating vanilla ice cream time and time again. You're sick and tired of playing the same opponent in the Big 12 week after week after week. Let's see if this is an opportunity where Oklahoma can capitalize on this momentum and use this as an opportunity starting tomorrow night with Oklahoma State uh, in Norman at the LNC. Figure out a way to go out there and win this Bedlam matchup. Get yourself back up to three and six. Yes, it's going to get a whole lot tougher because you got to go to Morgantown. You got to go to Baylor the following week as well. So figure out a way to climb yourself back up to where you're one or two games below 500 in Big 12 conference play. You've got the the tier one win in Alabama. You've got the quality win over Florida to kind of hang your hat on as well. Let's see if this team can find some uh, can, can kind of find some life in the back half of this Big Twelve schedule and figure out a way to you know kind of backdoor their way into the or into the uh, NCAA tournament this March. Grant Sherfield scoring in the second half is going to go a long way to helping those efforts. He scored his first uh, second Imagine half points, and I think two yeah. weeks uh, against Alabama. So that mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Jalen Hill, who you mentioned, having a career high in points, that makes a big difference. I think I think Sooner fans don't respect his game as much as they should simply because he came to OU as I think the Nevada Gatorade player of the year out of high school. And then it's kind of been in that 10 to 14 point range, you know, as an average uh, per game scorer throughout most of his career. And he scores pretty ugly. It's all putbacks and like really close layups. He's not really an outside shooter. He's a, a guy that doesn't have a future in the NBA. So he's really sticking around Oklahoma for a long time. He may even come back next year. Um, so he doesn't, he doesn't get the due that he deserves, but it's nice to see a second guy stepping up, carrying some of that, that scoring load. And you didn't necessarily need it against Alabama. You were up huge, but look at the difference that makes. And so um, whether it's him or whether it's, you know, uh, Milo Suzan or, or I don't know, someone else, I, I've given up on Tanner Groves uh, being the guy to carry the, the, you know, the, the Robin role in Batman and Robin there, but Someone has to step up and help Grant Sherfield because it can't all rely on him. And mm-hmm. we saw that happen in the previous games where he didn't show up in the second half and OU fell apart and wasn't able to win a game at that point. So uh, I, I still don't think it's enough, but this puts you in a position where you can start fighting for it and try to make a run towards March Madness. 
yeah, I still don't think it's going to be enough. It's a really nice moment in the middle of the season for Oklahoma, you know, kind of a breath of fresh air. You know, the the high point of the regular season is uh, I think we're going to look back on it as being what happened on Saturday against the Crimson Tide. So uh, from one team that finished on a high note, uh, this past this past weekend to a team that had kind of a disappointing 0-2 uh, stretch in Big 12 Conference play from this past week. The OU women's basketball team falling on the road to Texas, uh, getting beat pretty handily, uh, and then also following that up with a trip up to Ames, Iowa uh, over the weekend and losing to the Cyclones as well. Disappointing 0-2 week for Jenny Baranchek's group. Oklahoma sitting right now in second place in the Big 12 Conference, uh, still top 25 ranked nationally, so uh, this women's team is still in a good uh, in a good position as we you know kind of move into the home stretch of the regular season. Oklahoma is going to be looking to bounce back after two losses. I believe they're currently in the middle of a game against TCU right now. Um, last so time that I looked game at has, has finished uh, twenty three point victory over TCU at home for the women. There you TCU go. is a really bad women's basketball. Really, program. really bad basketball team, <laughs> really but bad. protects. Pro- Protect, serve at home, get yourself back on the right track. A get right Adam, type of game. Yeah. Get right type of game. But Adam, my biggest takeaway from this woman, this uh, women's basketball team over the last couple of weeks, we got to kind of give a special shout out here to Taylor Robertson, who breaks the uh, NCAA all-time three-point record. Uh, at oh, God, she's she's damn near at 500 uh, three-pointers made, shooting at 45% for her career. That's absolutely silly. But Adam, my favorite part about it was – Taylor Robertson showed up on Sunday thinking she was going to be recording a, a video for Soonersports.com, kind of a reaction uh, to her setting this all-time record, and she gets the special shout-out video from Steph Curry uh, c- congratulating her on her accomplishments. She gets to go courtside last night to check out the Thunder uh, lose to uh, the, the Warriors. My God, the Warriors are good when they've got it going. Uh, I feel like we've been saying that for the last decade. But seeing her kind of get this recognition, especially from Steph, uh, they've made a huge deal out of this. This is a tremendous accomplishment. And, uh, you know, congratulations to Taylor uh, and the OU women's basketball program uh, for this tremendous accomplishment. Yeah, awesome career for Taylor. Someone that's been at OU so long that you and I were selling tickets for her games back yep. in 2019, maybe even 2018. I'm not sure when, what year exactly that she started, but she's been around for a while. So a well-deserved honor to not only get that record, but to get that recognition from Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. It did hurt me a little bit. Uh, it hurts me a little bit that that's a Golden State Warrior and that's Steph Curry that is getting the uh, the love uh, towards from an OU player because – uh, I'm still raw, raw, the whole Kevin Durant stuff that happened to Thunder. That's been a long time. And it's crazy to think that Taylor Robertson came to the state of Oklahoma after all that happened. So it's not really as relevant to her, but um, pretty cool to, to get that recognition there mm-hmm. and a good moment for her. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a tough week for the women's basketball program. They got right tonight against TCU. Uh, I think it goes back, you know, to the conversation we had last week is uh, against Texas, for example, they lost by 20 points gave up 26 points on turnovers uh, to Texas. Mm-hmm. So I think this team lives and dies by how well they take care of the basketball. But at the same time, you you bank up enough wins, enough quality wins too, mm-hmm. that this women's program has done prior to this last week that you have, you know, a, a rut where you go in a two-game hole and it, it doesn't matter as much. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're still set up well for success to, you know, get some more quality wins as the season goes down. Mm-hmm get in a position to host, uh, you know, your first and second round games with NCAA tournament at home at the LNC and -hmm. use that experience that you have on this uh, senior laden roster to make a big run and hopefully get to a final four. 
Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I've got nothing more that I could add to that. Um, we'll see if they can continue to to build on this. Like I said, they're they're a top four seed right now nationally uh, going into to March Madness. We'll see if this team, you know, led by Anna, you know, Ianusa, Maddie Williams, Taylor Robertson, you know, three extremely decorated, you know, well seasoned, tremendous performers in an OU women's basketball uniform. We'll see if they can't use this as an opportunity. Go win a conference championship. You know, uh, see if you can figure out a way to to take down Iowa State in the regular season, win the regular season title. If not, uh, go into conference tournament play and see if you can't figure out a way uh, to to win yourself a uh, conference championship. Something that Oklahoma women's basketball hasn't done in quite some time. I believe the Paris sisters were the last ones to accomplish that feat. We'll see if Jenny Baranchek's group can't be the team that uh, starts that new trend. Uh, and and uh, you know defines that new standard of what Oklahoma women's basketball uh, can become moving forward. I'm having so much fun talking about women's basketball, which brings a lot of joy to my heart because it's yeah, been a while. Never thought I'd see the day. Never thought I'd <laughs> yeah. see the day. And here at the main line, we pride ourselves on giving some attention to some of those sports that maybe not everybody's talking about mm-hmm. as often, but definitely deserve uh, some kudos. So we've teased about softball. We've teased about baseball. Next week is the week that's going to happen. We've got a guest lined up for next week. Um, I'll save it for the podcast next week for you guys to be surprised about. Make sure you download, subscribe to the Mainline Podcast so you get that. We've got one of the top authorities, in my opinion, someone that knows more about OU baseball than pretty much everybody else out out there. So you'll want to hear what uh, we're able to learn about this team, some names to know going forward as the season is just three weeks out from starting, uh, really from mm-hmm. today. Um, so we'll talk about baseball. We'll have a little bit more in-depth about softball. We wanted to get to that today, and then the schedule got released. So uh, we're going to have a little bit of a stickball podcast next week, and we'll see what other news and notes items come up uh, there as well. But appreciate everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, if you've made it this far, take 30 seconds. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. If nothing else, Tyler. We'll, uh, Let's get out of here. Leave it there Let's get for out the of evening. Here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, appreciate everyone listening, and we will see everyone again next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.